Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Shut your face. Seriously? Seriously, shut. I don't, I don't believe that. Sorry about this, folks. Uh, my dear friend on the other side of the room just dropped a, a bit of a news turd of sorts in my lap that I have to deal with at the beginning of the podcast. It is relevant to the show, though, so this is why I'm dealing with it right now. But we'll put that aside for a second. Welcome to today's podcast of The Miller Frost Show. I am your host, I am still America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, and I'm also your Uncle Lindsay. I'm Miller Frost, here as always with White Boy Malcolm X. And before I forget, because I tend to do this at the beginning of my podcast, you can reach me at Miller at MillerFrostOnline.com. And we do have a lot of great stories to cover in, in, in the pile, but I want to get back to what White Boy Malcolm X was saying. You're saying that one of the Jonas Brothers is gay on that that show Kingdom that you watch. Which, which okay, I know it's the young one. What's which one? What's what's his name? Nick Jonas. Okay, I, I I don't I don't know which which of them they are. So he's playing he's playing gay for pay is is what you're telling me. You know what this does, White Boy Malcolm X. This reminds me of we had a story a couple weeks ago, a month ago. There was some retrospective on Call Me by Your Name with the Italian director. And he was defending the fact that he had, uh, who was it? Uh, it was Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, or, or whatever, however you pronounce his name. Straight actors, <laughs> supposedly straight actors. In the <laughs> I'm kidding, folks. I'm kidding. Uh, he had straight actors playing gay, gay characters. And so they were gay for pay in, in, in that sense. And people were giving him slack about it. But you're telling me that... Nick Jonas, thank you. Nick Jonas, the youngest of the Joni brothers, also did gay for pay. Interesting, interesting. And I, I never, I didn't know. First off, I don't watch the show. I've watched one episode of the show. But you're saying, when is that? Couple, couple, uh, couple episodes in on the second season. So I got to trudge through. So I can just skip. I can just fast forward. Just get me the, 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 um, the episode numbers and I'll take a look at that for you. He uses... <laughs> You saw the pile of news. First news story, folks. Apparently, Nick Jonas uses Grinder on Kingdom, so he's gay for pay. Is he? So, so what's he? Okay, I mean, how graphic? Okay, whatever. Just whatever. I don't even want to discuss. Let's just get to the, the, the pile of news. We can we can pick up on Nick Jonas later. Gay for pay. Man violently cut up into pieces with a machete. After grinder hookup goes horribly wrong. So, Nick Jonas, if you're still using grinder, you better be careful out there. A man in New York City is believed to have been violently hacked to death with a machete during a grinder hookup. Juan Alonso, 50, has been charged with murder, manslaughter, and criminal possession of a weapon after police were called to an apartment in the Bronx on Sunday evening. Alonzo's flatmate had returned home to discover the victim's naked body and Alonzo, machete in hand, standing over him, police say. The victim, whose name is not yet public, is believed to have met the alleged killer on Grinder. 
A police spokesperson said that officials are investigating whether there was a dispute over not liking certain sexual activities and it escalated. Alonzo has been hospitalized for a psychiatric evaluation, according to reports. The incident is only the latest in a series of gruesome murder cases linked to Grinder. Kevin Bacon, not the actor, folks, not the actor, a 25-year-old Michigan hairstylist, was killed, hacked into pieces, and eaten after traveling to a grinder hookup on Christmas Eve last year, with his family only realizing something was wrong when he failed to turn up on Christmas Day. Meanwhile, in the UK, 18-year-old Brian Helis was sentenced to life in prison for brutally murdering another teen he had met on Grinder by stabbing him more than 100 times. Grinder said previously, Safety is not merely the responsibility of users, and Grinder is continuously seeking to develop and improve its security features, not only to protect users, but also to provide them with critical safety information needed to ensure a safe experience. Okay, then. I guess, I guess critical safety information is to don't hook up with guys who own a machete. I mean, having a dispute over liking or disliking certain sexual activities, which I figured they would have probably gotten that out of the way beforehand, but apparently not. And it escalated to the guy getting a freaking machete and hacking him to death. Jesus. And I don't know what else to say about that. Did you know White Boy Malcolm X? We're going we're gonna to go off of Nick Jonas playing gay for pay and grinder hookups gone horribly not even horribly wrong like deadly wrong too did you know that today is national coming out day well i did not know that either but are you ready for this the nfl this is a cnn story nfl encourages players to come out in new psa for national coming out day the Football League is celebrating National Coming Out Day with a video featuring openly gay and bisexual former players, such as Ryan O'Callaghan, Jeff Roher, J.K. Russell, and Wade Davis, encouraging current LGBTQ players to come out. The NFL released the 32nd-long National Coming Out Day PSA on YouTube Saturday. It's scheduled to air during early game Fox broadcast Sunday, which is National Coming Out Day, according to Outsports.com. As of Saturday afternoon, the video has roughly 13,500 views. The PSA begins with O'Callaghan, Roher, Russell, and Davis collectively saying, To all current players who are thinking of coming out, when you are ready, so are we. Then current NFL players including Rob Gronkowski, DeAndre Hopkins, and Calais Campbell express their support saying, It takes all of us, and you deserve to be you. Do you believe that? <laughs> I don't believe a damn one. That I don't. Believe, I mean, who cares about the NFL first of all? But can you imagine how pissed off that silly drama queen Colin Kaepernick is? He's probably like, all he wants to do is talk about racial justice and systemic oppression, and and now the NFL was like, oh, we can dodge that bullet for at least one week. We'll just talk about the queens. <laughs> okay, then. So it's National Coming Out Day, and, and nobody in the NFL is going to come out today. I promise you. Okay, I have some transgender news for you, White Boy Malcolm X. And because it's another week, it's another week to whip J.K. Rowling again. But before I get into that, there was a story on National Review Online, and it was a book review. And the headline is Transgender Craze Harms Young Women Especially. And it's actually two books. The first book is The End of Gender, Debunking the Myths About Sex and Identity in Our Society by Deborah So. And the other book is Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters by Abigail Schreier. And guess, guess who they have a picture of accompanying this article, which has nothing to do. Yes, J.K. Rowling. Yes. So anything that has to do with transgender, there she is. There she is. So here's the next story. Eddie Redmayne calls out hideous torrent of abuse towards trans people as he returns to work on J.K. Rowling's Fantastic Beast. So obviously he got the memo from Daniel Radcliffe. If you want to save your career throw that bitch under the bus as many times as possible. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them star Eddie Redmayne has called out a hideous torrent of abuse towards trans people online as production resumes on the embattled J.K. Rowling film franchise. Redmayne was one of many stars linked to J.K. Rowling's work to speak out against her views on trans people, but unlike Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint, his association with the author is ongoing through her Fantastic Beasts film. That's right, folks. 
He doesn't like her, but he'll still take her money. In an interview with the Daily Mail, Redmayne, who played a trans character in The Danish Girl, said that he had made clear to Rowling that he does not agree with absolutely disgusting abuse towards her online. However, he made clear that the torrent of abuse towards trans people on social media is equally disgusting. The actor said he has many trans friends and colleagues who are having their human rights challenged around the world and facing discrimination on a daily basis. He added, there continues to be a hideous torrent of abuse towards trans people online and out in the world that is devastating. Last week, Rowling platformed an online shop via Twitter that sells badges bearing the slogans, F your pronouns and sorry about your dick, bro, mocking the trans community. What they don't say is that that shop is owned by a lesbian. In his previous statement to Variety, Redmayne had said, Respect for transgender people remains a cultural imperative, and over the years I have been trying to constantly educate myself. This is an ongoing process. As someone who has worked with both J.K. Rowling and members of the trans community, I wanted to make it absolutely clear where I stand. He continued, I disagree with Joe's comments. Trans women are women, trans men are men, and non-binary identities are valid. I would never want to speak on behalf of the community, but I do know that my dear transgender friends and colleagues are tired of this constant questioning of their identities, which all too often results in violence and abuse. They simply want to live their lives peacefully, and it's time to let them do so. What? What? Yes, yes, White Boy Malcolm X has a point here, and I, I, I don't know how I missed that, but Eddie Redmayne played a transgender character in the Danish girl. They couldn't find a transgender character to play the role. I mean, a transgender to play the role of a transgender. Apparently not. Another one that goes gay for bad. What? What has J.K. Rowling done, White Boy Malcolm X, other than just express an opinion online? Which I know for the transgender community is not is not tolerable if it goes against their opinion on any matter. I mean, she has not called for violence. She has not called for discrimination. She just simply made a comment or two. And, you know, her, her, t- her T-shirt, that's about it. But apparently that is enough for these, these, these hysterics. And for Eddie Redmayne to join his, his friends there, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint, and throwing that bitch under the bus to save his own career. Lifelong Republican 94 pledges to vote Biden to protect the LGBT plus community after gay grandson's emotional appeal. And I rewrote that headline. Granny humors drama queen grandson. (laughs) A 94-year-old grandmother and lifelong Republican has pledged to vote for Joe Biden in the presidential election after her gay grandson tearfully explained to her the risk. See, I told you, a drama queen grandson. He tearfully explained to her the risk doing otherwise poses to his future and the safety of the LGBT plus community. After Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez asked Democrats to speak to the Republican voting loved ones about the election, Brennan Swain decided he needed to approach his much-loved grandmother. Although his grandmother is the greatest ally to the LGBT plus community, she was also a lifelong Republican voter but hadn't fully realized the damage her choice could have made. Speaking to Pink News, Swain said the thought of talking to his grandmother about the election haunted him for weeks, but he knew he had to do something. A Democratic victory in November's elections is essential if LGBT plus rights are to be protected. I cannot truthfully only compare to how I felt before I came out, Swain said. She is old-fashioned and not one to talk about politics, And even though she watches broadcast news, she isn't paying attention to a lot of the other things going on. She doesn't have the internet or a cell phone either, so I knew that it was up to me to tell her the personal stakes of this election. He picked up the phone and called his grandmother while on his lunch break with just a vague idea of what he would say. He quickly started crying as he told his grandmother about his fears for the future in Trump's America. Well, we've been under Trump's America for four years already, folks. I, I don't know what he's crying about now. Jesus Christmas. I mean, the hysteric should have started in 2015. Son, you are a day late and a dollar short. He wasn't sure how she would respond to his plea, but she immediately jumped into mama bear mode when she heard him crying down the phone. Poor queen. I told her about the fear that my community lives with every day, and she just immediately said, I won't vote for those people. I promise. I was surprised she responded that way so quickly after decades of voting Republican. I asked her again. (laughs) Come on, Grandma, you're serious. 
And she promised me again, and she said she would never break a promise to me. I know that is the truth. She told me I am her favorite grandson, the love of her life, and that she would do anything for me, Swain says. Mercy. What a hysterical queen. And this is another one, White Boy Malcolm X. I mean, what has Trump done or said to terrify, terrify the gay community after four years? Nothing. Exactly. Thank you. In fact, there actually is that picture of him waving the gay flag, but this hysterical queen. (laughs) He's coming to get me. So can you see Granny on the phone with him? He'd be like, oh, Grandma, Grandma, that Trump, he's, he's, if you vote for him, he's, he's going gonna to get an Air Force One and fly here and just come get me. And Granny's like, oh, oh, grandson, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I won't vote for the man. And then she, like, you know, hangs up, gets the pansy off the phone. She calls the parent, you know, the, the mother or the father, whoever her kid is, and goes, what the hell? What the hell did you raise that damn pansy for? God. Bless. I, I did put the gay stuff first. Yes, I, I was waiting for you to comment on that. Yes, I did put the gay stuff first. Bisexual pastor turned stripper blesses the world with her sacred sexuality through OnlyFans. And I have, do you know what OnlyFans is? Well, but yes, obviously. That's <laughs> where strippers go for their sacred sexuality. But I, 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 I'm not even going to Google OnlyFans. I don't, I don't care to know. A bisexual pastor and mom of three has traded the pulpit for the pole to become an exotic dancer on OnlyFans. And for her, it feels every bit as holy. <laughs> yes, I'm going to read this. I just, I, I don't know why. Nicole Mitchell, 36, grew up in a strict Baptist family with a strong stereotypical gender roles. She was expected to be quiet, reserved, and sweet, and a career as an entertainer was totally out of the question. From a young age, I had fantasized about being a stripper, Mitchell told the New York Post, but I was indoctrinated to believe my desires and my body were innately sinful and bad. I was taught that women aren't allowed to lead and that women belong in the kitchen, barefoot and pregnant, no doubt, and with the children. And so even though it went against everything I was told, I decided to become a pastor because of my love for performing. It goes without saying that the possibility of being anything other than straight wasn't an option in her family. And she herself never considered her sexuality until 2016 when she attended an LGBT plus theater performance. It was a revelation for her. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm straight. And it rocked my world, said Mitchell. I knew if I revealed my queerness, I would lose it all because the church is not welcoming to queer people. Well, Nicole, you should you should come up to Massachusetts. I think I think pretty much every church I drive by has a gay flag in front of it. I mean, they virtue signal the hell out of that gay flag, folks, up here. So, Nicole, you need to come up, and we got you covered up here. As the pastor struggled to keep her sexuality a secret, she felt as if she was living a very duplicitous life and knew it couldn't continue. So on July 4th, 2017, she gave her last sermon at the church and simply walked away without looking back. I just never showed up again, she said. A few months later, Mitchell came out publicly as queer in a confessional YouTube video. It was a huge step, and as she faced the prospect of starting anew, she decided to hire a life coach to guide her. I, I, no. Here, I'll give you a quote from her. I cry because I had never felt more holy and sacred in my life, she said. I never felt more sexy and liberated than I did then. She now identifies as bisexual and pansexual and has never been happier. Okay, well, good for her, I guess. No, I got... I really got nothing. I just saw it. I thought, what the hell? This, folks, I know that we put explicit in the in the in the the show files, and we, when we upload it. But if you, don't, I'm going to read you the headline, and if you don't want to hear about it, I would skip ahead about five minutes. Walking Dead star Nico Tortorella declares there's nothing more masculine than bottoming, and opens up about their queer poly marriage. And when you're sitting there going. Their queer polymer. It's just him, folks. He's one of the funky pronoun people. Nick Tortorella is on a mission to dispel stigmas around polyamory, gender fluidity, and bottoming. The Walking Dead World Beyond star talked to Attitude for their November issue about their identity, polyamorous marriage, and sex. When asked about the stigma attached to anal sex, (laughs) they said the issue resonates from people thinking that the body part is a dirty or filthy place. I think that is a deep-rooted issue with the body in general, whether you're male-bodied or female-bodied, they explained. 
Tortorella, who has previously confirmed they are sexually verse, went further to dismiss the notion that bottoming is not masculine, saying anyone who has ever bottomed knows you just need to man the F up and get the job done. <laughs> There's nothing more masculine than bottoming, they added. I, you, you want me to go on? Uh, okay. This is a dumpster fire of an article. I'm, I'm just saying. Elsewhere in the interview, Tortorella spoke of growing up in a sex-positive home and their slow burn journey towards understanding their queerness. I, I can't take these funky pronouns. God. I think that my own understanding of the binary of sexuality and the binary of gender has transitioned over the years, and I try to more educate than necessarily to explain who I am with my family, they said. The 32-year-old explained that they first told their family they were dating someone that wasn't a girl around age 24 when they had a very serious boyfriend. Tortorella is now married to wife Bethany C. Myers. They met, the pair met in college, starting off as friends before entering a deeper relationship that spanned 15 years, but both have explored their sexualities independently from the other. And I'm not reading anymore. <laughs> that, that is a train wreck from hell. I mean, who goes on? Who goes to the media and discusses body? The raging power bottom is what that one is. They are. This is from The Telegraph. Children of same-sex parents do better at school, study claims. <laughs> Children with same-sex parents do better at school. I'm, I got to laugh now, White Boy Malcolm X, because the, the race stuff, it, it is Alice in Wonderland half-ass backwards. It's It's insane. It literally is a look into the mind of the insane. But we'll get to that in, in due course. I think we've got... Oh, oh, crap. It's the next story. This is the last of the fun stuff, folks, for a while. And then we'll get back to fun. I got something for my summit mistress, but we're, we're saving that, that one for the end. Children with same-sex parents do better at school than those whose fathers and mothers are in heterosexual relationships, a new study has found. Homosexual parents tend to be wealthier, better educated, and have a higher socioeconomic status, which explains their children's better performance, researchers at Belgium's Leuven University said. And I I thought, white boy Malcolm X, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that we were, as a community, the LGBTQ plus community, I thought we were disproportionately oppressed. And this article from The Telegraph says that we... We are wealthier, better educated, and have higher socioeconomic status. And they're not talking about you over there with your white boy Malcolm X trust fund. I, I don't know. Let's continue on. Let's, maybe they'll explain this. The economic and education specialist said that even if the social status of gay parents was discounted, their children still did slightly better than those from more traditional families. The three economists said that same-sex parents spent more time with their children. They were also more interested in their education. I guess the moral of the story... I'm not going to read the rest of this. I guess the moral of the story is, folks, straight people suck. <laughs> now we get to the race stuff, so... Kind of like the um, the bottoming story, folks. If you don't want to get suicidally depressed, my recommendation is probably to skip ahead about, I don't know, 20 minutes. But let's dig in. This is a Bloomberg story. Museums sell Picasso and Warhol embrace diversity to survive. The one-two punch of COVID-19 and the racial justice movement has upended huge swaths of society, work, school, and healthcare. Below the radar, it's also shaking the foundations of another set of U.S. institutions, museums, forcing them to sell prized works and broaden the definition of great art. For generations, museums lived by a tightly scripted set of rules. They accepted tax-deductible donations and acquired artists seen as great, mostly European and American, mostly white, Mostly men. In deference to the sacredness of their task, and if you don't know what their task is, folks, they were enabling dead white men. They were permitted to sell a work only to buy another, not to keep on the lights or pay conservators. This past April, after museums from San Francisco to Maine shut their doors due to the pandemic, the Association of Art Museum Directors announced that for two years, works could be sold and the proceeds used for direct care with each institution defining what that means. The impact has been profound. Museums are not only selling works long off the market, but acquiring pieces by female, black, and Latino artists, and, they hope, gaining new visitors who will see themselves reflected in the hushed halls. In other words, they're expanding the canon and hoping to turn this crisis into an opportunity. 
So, White Boy Malcolm X, I hope the next time we go to the MFA, which for you folks not in Boston is the Museum of Fine Arts, I hope we will see ourselves reflected in the hushed halls. I want to see some of those LGBTQ plus artists. You know what I think, White Boy Malcolm X? I, I think that these works of art from these mostly European and American and mostly white men, these, these works of art, I think, should be burned. They should not be sold. They're selling them to rich people to hang in their, you know, their hallways or their their living rooms or what have you. This, I think, propagates the systemic racism that's out there to hang white artists' paintings in rich people's houses. Just a thought. It's just a thought. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> and mark my words. Someone, someone will come out with that and they will be dead serious. This is kind of like the story we had in Chicago a couple weeks back, a month back. I can't remember anymore. Oh, White Boy Malcolm X. Did you know this is our 10th show? We have been, it, it is. It's our 10th show. We have been doing this for, this is our 10th, 10th episode for what, two and a half months now. We're just cranking them out, folks. We are just cranking them out. Okay, then. Um, here we go. Stealing Soho, luxury retailers terrorized by shoplifting mobs. And this is kind of reminds me of Chicago, but they were rioting and looting mobs in Chicago. But this this is this is a little bit different, but this is in New York as well. Bands of shoplifters are terrorizing Soho's high-end boutiques, lifting hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of designer merchandise, and in some cases, threatening security guards to keep quiet or be labeled racist, the Post has learned. And this is from the New York Post. The disturbing pattern began in late May during the riots that rocked the city in the wake of the George Floyd police custody death, which is as good an excuse as any. High-end Celine was looted of $1.5 million in merchandise then, and the blatant thievery continues every week in ritzy stores such as Prada, Moncler, which I've never heard of, and Dior, one plugged-in local set. This is happening every week. Walk around Soho on Wooster Street and Green Street, Mercer Street. You have huge bouncers out there trying to deter hit-and-run activity, the source, a restaurateur said. But in some cases, the thieves are given carte blanche to steal. If they, the store personnel, stop them and say anything in the store before they've left the building, then it often gets turned into a racial accusation, the source said. <gasps> no, I'm shocked that happens. The brands tell their employees to walk away, the insider added. They don't want to be the next Instagram video claiming they are a racist brand. Soho store managers, especially those employed by national retailers, remain tight-lipped for fear of the R-word reprisal, bad publicity, or tarnishing their brand, the source said. NYPD Sergeant Joseph Imperatrice, founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC, so clearly this man is a freaking racist from hell, told the Post that investigators are aware that mobs of young transient groups have bulldozed through aisles grabbing as much as their arms can hold. A law enforcement source confirmed that dozens of larcenies have occurred in recent months in high-end establishments in the neighborhood. The source says the victimized stores include Adidas, Fendi, and Burberry. The suspects create a stir and grab as much merchandise as they can, confident they're not going to face resistance or consequences, the same source said, adding it's a lucrative business. I I do not know, White Boy Malcolm X. I don't know what the problem is. First off, most of this stuff is overpriced junk anyway. I When I lived in L.A. with my ex, the meth junkie, while the meth being a meth junkie wasn't like the train wreck it became, but while he was like a, a functioning meth junkie, he loved uh, what was it? Um, G Star Raw was the name of the brand, and these jeans are like two, three hundred dollars a pop. And he would buy these distressed T-shirts, and it literally is just a like faded, crappy T-shirt with the built-in tears and wrinkles and what have you. And these T-shirts were like a hundred bucks a pop, so he'd walk around in like three, $400 wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And it'd be like three or $400 for what a quarter's worth of cotton. <laughs> but that's what he would do. And so I, that, every time I look at this kind of stuff, I just think it's, it is literally just overpriced junk and who really gives a crap. But besides that, I mean, look at Chicago. What did I say when they were rioting and looting in Chicago? I said that you know, this was simply a down payment on reparations, and that's that's the way it should be looked at. So, if they're stealing one point five million dollars of merchandise, that's just the down payment on the reparations. And I'm not even going to get into California, founded as a free state, a slave free state, is going to be paying reparations. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to put all that down. I told you, I told you, this is a nutty, nutty week for this stuff. Yelp says it will mark pages of businesses accused of racist conduct. 
Yelp, the local search and review site, said it would post alerts on the pages of businesses where customers or employees have reported incidents of racism, the latest attempt by a U.S. company to induce a tougher response system to confront discrimination after the police killing of George Floyd in May. The company, which offers a platform for users to rate places like restaurants, small businesses, and popular tourist sites, said in a statement Thursday that it would use a business accused of racist behavior alert (laughs) when there was a resounding evidence that a business owner or employee had taken racist actions, including the use of racist slurs or symbols. And if you don't know what a racist slur is, that's when you say blue lives matter. (laughs) And if you don't know what a racist symbol is, just look at the American flag. This alert will always link to a news article from a credible media outlet, Yelp said, without elaborating on which news organizations they consider to be credible or how it defined resounding evidence. How much you want to bet, White Boy Malcolm X, that their credible media outlets are going to be like um, CNN, MSNBC. Yes, Vox. Absolutely. Vox is totally going to be on the top of that. All those dopey millennial blog sites like that. Yes, they're all going to be the, (coughs) the credible media outlets. Yelp's announcement raised questions about how, from racists, no doubt, about how the company will enforce the initiative and how it will ensure that businesses were not falsely associated with racism or the targets of defamatory reviews, which can significantly damage a business. Companies like Google and Facebook have also grappled with the difficult issues of moderating users on their online platforms. As the nation reckons with issues of systemic racism, we've seen the last few months that there is a clear need to warn consumers about businesses associated with egregious, racially charged actions to help people make more informed spending decisions, said the statement from Yelp, which is based where? San Francisco. (laughs) I'm not going to read any more of this. I mean, this is, folks, welcome. Welcome to a world. We're already in there. We've long been in it. But welcome to a world where politics infects everything. Who, who thinks like this? Can you see some couple and, and the, the husband's like, honey, honey, go on to Yelp and let's, let's find out where all those Nazi Republicans are so we can spend, spend our money somewhere else. Anyway, that's that on Yelp. This is from, actually, this is from the Starbucks website because I was at Starbucks and I went back in and I don't know why, but they hide the, the where to find the tip. You want to tip the people electronically. It's like an act of Congress to find find your uh, your purchase history to tip these people. But anyway, I was there doing that, and they had this article. Starbucks Latinx Partners on How a Cup of Coffee Evokes Family Culture. And I don't think Starbucks got the memo. And I keep I forgot to print this article out. There's someone like did a poll of the Latino community and asked them what they thought of the word Latinx. Most of them had never heard of it, and and fewer of them didn't even want to use it. So this is one of these <laughs> good meaning uh, liberal white people are like, oh, I th- I think we should we should call the Latino and Latina community Latinx, and that's what that's what they're doing here. In 2005, a few months after graduating from architecture school in the Dominican Republic, Gianni Sanchez was working at a job designing houses, but she felt uninspired and the pay wasn't enough to be financially independent. I just started questioning myself, she remembers thinking. I wanted to be part of something bigger than me and further develop myself. I made the decision one Monday sitting at my desk, and the next Monday I was on a plane flying to New Jersey. (laughs) Folks, let me just say something real quick. If you start to question yourselves and you want to further develop yourselves, the last thing, the literally the very last thing you should do is get on a plane and go to New Jersey. Don't do it. Fifteen years later, after managing the design and construction of duty-free stores for an international makeup company, finishing two master's degrees in the U.S. and giving birth to her son, Sanchez earlier this year completed a remarkable homecoming. She is the project development manager who helped bring the very first Starbucks store to the Dominican Republic. It opened mid-May in the capital, Santo Domingo. The first store in my country, Sanchez says, it was a very emotional moment for me, especially when I saw that first bag of Dominican coffee for Starbucks. This year, during Latinx Heritage Month, Starbucks is proud to honor the rich coffee cultures of Latin America and the stories of our partners who celebrate them still in ways new and old, stories of families and traditions, stories of leaving home and coming back. And this story goes on and on and on and on. But that's all I'm going to read because, quite frankly, I don't know about you, White Boy Malcolm X, but I think this story is racist. 
It is ter- First off, they should not be using Latinx because most Latino people don't even like it. And on top of which, it makes these people look like a bunch of like, it's like a vicious stereotype of Juan Valdez. I actually tweeted about this. I, I did. I tweeted this article. I couldn't help myself. I just thought. Anyway, here's the headline. Sesame Street and Barbie tackle racism in new specials. Puppets and a doll. They're taking the fight to the street. Fresh off their racism town hall in June, Sesame Street is once again discussing the topic with a brand new race-focused special slated to air later this month. The decision comes amid nationwide upheaval following the deaths of black men and women like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor at the hands of police. We believe that this moment calls for a direct discussion about racism to help children grasp the issues, says Kay Wilson-Stallings, Executive Vice President of Creative and Production at Sesame Street Workshop, on which the program will premiere. So it's just blame whitey training for your kids. The puppet-filled PSA, entitled The Power of We, will feature various skits and songs aimed at teaching children to stand up to racism. In one cartoon sketch, a white Muppet reprimands a black Muppet for dressing up as a superhero because he thinks comic book characters can't be black. The black Muppet claps back by saying superheroes come in all colors, causing the other to see the error of his ways. By a similar token, the song How Do You Know uses the multi-hued Muppet characters to illustrate the absurdity of discrimination based on skin color. Hey Elmo, how would you feel if I said I don't like you because I don't like the color red, sings Tamir, a black eight-year-old Muppet, to which Elmo responds... Elmo wouldn't care what you say because Elmo was proud. Proud to be red. (laughs) Okay, now this gets better. The Muppets aren't the only children's icons tackling racism. Mattel's subsidiary Barbie released a YouTube video Wednesday where Barbie and her black friend Nikki discuss the nature of discrimination. There's a huge movement going on, Barbie says in the vlog-style clip, which has amassed over 130,000 views since yesterday. She continues, millions of people across the world are standing up to fight against racism, and they're doing this because too often and for such a long time, people have been treated unfairly, and in some cases even hurt by others, because of the color of their skin. Nikki responds by recalling an instance where she was stopped three times by beach security during the duo sticker-selling contest last month. The security officer thought I was doing something bad, even though I was doing exactly the same thing that you were doing, she laments. Barbie sums up her plight by saying, White people get an advantage they didn't earn, and black people get a disadvantage they don't deserve. (laughs) Yes, Barbie, folks, is a champion against systemic racism. This this is also White Boy Malcolm X. This is the chick that lives in her Malibu dream house. And Malibu is about as, as white as you can get. She drives a Corvette, and she gets screwed regularly by that that closet case blonde Kendall (laughs) and now she's the champion she's now the champion so here we go uh coming soon another generation of completely screwed up kids this is a local story but it is a race story and this is from boston.com these are the cuts the mbta is discussing for its trains buses and ferries due to covid19 While nothing is finalized, the transit agency is getting more specific. And I have to say, we actually have the, I think, the worst (laughs) subway system. I think it's one of the first in in the country, but we have one of the worst subway systems, Boston does, uh, of of, of anyone. And one of the big issues with it is, like in New York, you've got tons of train lines, but you can take the same train on one train line and swap it over. Here we have like the orange line, the red line, the green line, and the blue line. And they all use different trains. So you can't take, if too many orange line trains break, you can't take a red line train and put it on the orange line because they're completely different cars. Apparently they just built all these different lines and they didn't standardize anything. So it's just been this hot mess of of a train system. Anyway, let's dig in. As much as the MBTA has mapped out ambitious plans to improve future service, the transit agency's leaders have made one thing increasingly clear. In the wake of the crippling financial impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, without additional financial assistance for the federal government, they'll be forced to make painful cuts to service in the coming years to make ends meet. What is still coming into focus is what those cuts might look like. MBTA officials are approaching the predicament by putting each of its lines and services into one of four quadrants based on ridership volume and transit criticality, a measure based on the general trips taken by low-income people, people of color, and people in zero-to-low vehicle households. As outlined in previous, yes, yes, they're going to be counting color. 
As outlined in previous meetings, the goal of the approach is to minimize the disruption of cuts on essential services where both ridership based on both pre-COVID-19 levels and pandemic era retention rate and transit criticality is high. Well, I don't know what they're going to do. If you look at like the orange line and the red line, well, the orange line and the red line, they both start in like the northern suburbs, the good suburbs, and they all go south into the kind of the crappy suburbs. So I don't know what they're going to do with the service if when they straddle, when they straddle both rich white people and then the poor people of color. I don't know how they're going to how they're going to cut that. The transit criticality there is just going to be a nightmare for them to figure out. But, you know, that's that's what you get when you have to count count color. I mean, this is insane. We're we're only going to run the trains where poor people and people of color and people who drive Priuses live. This is a National Review article. And I'm only bringing this up because we talked about BIPOC last week, which is black and indigenous people of color. Ohio State BIPOC grad students feel disrespected by professors' apology for op-ed celebrating football. (laughs) Yes, these prima donnas in grad school are all pissed off because this guy wrote about football. To say the very least, we are disappointed and feel disrespected, the letter reads. Ohio State University professor Matthew Mayhew made headlines last week after apologizing for having caused a deep ache among students and faculty by writing an op-ed arguing that the return of college football might help unite a deeply polarized nation. I told you folks, it is Alice in Wonderland out there. Mayhew, a professor and program director for OSU's School of Higher Education and Student Affairs, also known as HESA, H-E-S-A, pledged to undertake the long process of anti-racist learning after his students and colleagues informed him that his celebration of college football caused them hurt, sadness, frustration, fatigue, exhaustion, and pain by ignoring the plight of African-American athletes. This man is a racist. But Mayhew's self-flagellation was insufficient, according to an October 6th letter titled A Call to Action for... What What have I always said? You can never make these people happy, ever. And this poor schmuck decided he was just going to, like, throw himself under the bus. And they're still not happy about it. They want him to get back out and do it again and again and again. But Mayhew's self-flagellation was insufficient, according to an October 6th letter titled A Call to Action for Dr. Matthew J. Mayhew, signed by a group of hysterical graduate students who identify themselves as a BIPOC HESA collective, which was obtained by National Review. The signatories object to Mayhew's lengthy apology as well as the contents of a subsequent public discussion he had with fellow professor Gilman Whiting, who was identified in Mayhew's apology as one of the distinguished academics who taught him about how damaging his op-ed was. To say the least, we are very disappointed and feel disrespected, the letter reads. We hold Dr. Mayhew's comments as a reflection of his casual disregard for racially marginalized students in general in the HESA program. Mayhew, who co-wrote the op-ed titled Why America Needs College Football with one of his graduate students, explained in his apology that he had received an education from his critics after publishing the piece. I learned that I could have titled the piece Why America Needs Black Athletes, he wrote. I learned that black men putting their bodies on the line for my enjoyment is inspired and maintained by my uninformed and disconnected whiteness and, as written in my previous article, positions student-athletes as white property. Heavens! Armed with his new education, or re-education, Mayhew promised to design a plan for change that would help move Black Lives Matter from a motto to a pathway from ignorance towards authentic advocacy. Relying on his identity as a learner, Mayhew vowed further to center the question, what can I do to unlearn patterns that hurt and harm Black communities and other communities of color? But according to the letter, do do you want me to go on? I can't. I can't go on. Do you want to hear... So anyway, this goes on and on and on. And I literally cannot read any more of this. But here are some of the list of, I'm not going to read all of the list of demands, but here are some of the demands that these hysterical grad students are demanding of him. Requiring Dr. Mayhew and the white men that he advises to undertake a restorative justice action with the women of color in HESA they have harmed at the women of color's discretion. (laughs) Which means they got to sit there and listen to these hysterical women scream at them about their their racial oppression. Requiring Dr. Mayhew's College Impact Lab research team and advisees to complete anti-racism and bias trainings and establish accountability measures against perpetrating white supremacy. Requiring Dr. Mayhew's Impact Lab 
to achieve racial gender parity through intentional recruitment of his funded advisees, strongly discouraging Dr. Mayhew from writing on topics of race, gender, class, etc., in which he is neither a scholarly or personal expert. These people are insane, literally insane when I, when I go through this. And so I guess, folks, that college campuses are now the new re-education camps of the 21st century. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, speaking of hysterical black women, Michelle Obama blasts Trump for morally wrong and racist behavior and accuses him of being missing in action on COVID. And if you don't know who Michelle Obama is, she is the one that lives out in a multi-million dollar house on Martha's Vineyard and complains about systemic racism because some white woman caught her off in line to go get ice cream. On Tuesday, the former first lady issued the shocking blast on YouTube, urging Americans to vote for Joe Biden because Trump isn't up to the job. She would know about a president not being up for the job. She married one. Her comments came after the president's discharge from Walter Reed National Military Medical Center on Monday evening, just 72 hours after he was admitted with coronavirus. But Obama claimed the president knew how deadly this virus is, but who lied to us and told us it would just disappear and double down on division and resentment. Today, more Americans have died from this virus than died in the wars of Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, and Korea combined, she said. Take all those lives bravely sacrificed and double it. That's roughly the scale of this tragedy. And our commander-in-chief, sadly, has been missing in action. In Obama's video, she claimed Trump's willful mismanagement of the COVID crisis is just one example of his negligence. When wildfires raged out west, he says nothing for weeks. When Americans of all backgrounds peacefully protest racism and police violence, mostly peaceful, let me just gently correct her, mostly peaceful protest, Michelle. He disparages them, yet eggs on heavily armed militias, she claimed. And by heavily armed militias, she means Proud Boys. Obama also reiterated the accusations that Trump called fallen troops suckers and losers, which he has repeatedly denied and said as a connected young man, he avoided military service himself. Wow. She is being little catty here. A president's policies are a direct reflection of their values, she said, citing Trump's tax cuts. And we're seeing the truth on display with our current president, who has devoted his life to enriching himself, his family, and other wealthy people he truly understands. Well, I guess we're not going to discuss Michelle Obama's Netflix, nine-figure Netflix, do we? We don't want to talk about her and her husband whoring themselves to Netflix and personally profiting from the presidency. We're not going to, we're not going to talk about that. So shh. Okay, then. That, that was from Princess Michelle. Okay, Wipo Malcolm X, here's the last race story, and you're going to be confused by the headline, but it is still technically a race story, and I'll get to why in a second. Drunk student gets stuck in dryer, has to be rescued by firefighters. Yes, because they're like the police, they're racist. And look at her. I mean, she looks, folks, she looks like one of these hysterical white women that goes up and down rampaging in New York. (laughs) So that's why I read this article. I'm like, oh, this this is one of those weird stories where it's like she gets stuck in a dryer and they, they call the racists to come get her out. Whole University student Rosie Cole, 21, had to be rescued by firefighters when she got stuck in her dryer on a dare and her housemates couldn't pull her out. Admittedly bored during COVID-19 lockdown, the undergrads from Yorkshire in the UK had swilled a couple of bottles of Zinfandel wine and downed honey tequila shots. Classy chicks, folks when they dared their pal to take a tumble. It wasn't until I wiggled both my hips in and got my legs crossed behind me that I realized I couldn't get out, Cole told her college news outlet. I am a bit dramatic. (laughs) They all are, folks. So I didn't think it was that bad at first, and my housemates were making me laugh. But the laughter soon dried up. When I realized I couldn't uncross my legs and my hips were stuck, I got a bit worried, she said. Especially when I tried to free myself, the dryer tipped forward and I couldn't get myself out. My arms were starting to hurt trying to hold myself up, and it was pretty hot inside the dryer. First responders had to be called, and it took three, three firefighters to successfully rescue the tipsy college Cohen. So the white chick called the racist firefighters. She needs, whatever's going on at Yorkshire, they need a little bit more of that re-education we just talked about. She should not be doing that. Oh, here we go. It's another week. It's another story about Trump, the fascist Nazi, whatever, who's going to seize power. Four years of this. Four years of this we've been listening. So here's another one because we we can't get enough of this. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer, who's finally getting on the bandwagon. 
is American democracy at risk? Some scholars see creeping fascism and historic parallels, which they've been saying for about the last four or five years. Anne Berg, a history professor at the University of Pennsylvania, was born and raised in Germany. And while her parents are basically hippies, she said her grandparents were Nazis. So she knows, folks. She knows about Nazis because Granny and Grandpa were a bunch of Hitler-loving Nazis. That close connection led Berg to a vocation as a scholar of Nazi Germany, exploring the role played by people, she said, who rocked me to sleep. Now Berg is among many academics and others watching what she calls a rapid descent towards fascism in the United States right from her home in Fishtown. Back in 2017, she was already drawing parallels with pre-war Germany, but warned her students against catastrophizing. No longer. Can you see this hysterical chick in class? Trump's a Nazi! Trump's a Nazi! Trump's a Nazi! That's all she says. To expect that things are going to return to normal is irresponsible, Berg said. People need to be aware of the risk we are facing right now. Is American democracy at risk? After last week's volatile debate with a belligerent President Donald Trump signaling paramilitary white supremacist groups to stand by, repeatedly calling the voting process into question, and raising the specter of post-election violence, lots of Americans may have joined the growing chorus of academics and others who have sounded the alarm for, in some cases, years. Well, that is some sloppy journalism. First off, he did not signal paramilitary white supremacist groups, groups being plural, he talked about one group, the Proud Boys, and where did he get that from? Joe Biden, you know, good old creepy Uncle Joe on the other side of the, on the, of the stage there calling out the Proud Boys. So Trump just repeated Proud Boys, which is not a white supremacist group. Did you know, White Boy Malcolm X, this according to the Washington Times? Now, we, first off, we know that the chairman of the Proud Boys is a black Cuban named Enrique Tarrio. But 10 to 20 percent of the, of the so-called white supremacist <laughs> Proud Boys are people of color. I mean, I am America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual. Don't get me wrong. But this is a lot of self-hate to have, one, you know, a tenth to, to, to 20% of, of your racist white supremacy group infested with minorities. I mean, who does that? What kind of idiots put a black Cuban in charge of a white supremacist group? And who, folks, who told Joe Biden to never concede the election, right? So they're saying, well... Trump's going to call the voting process in a question. Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden, never concede. Do not concede. So the Democrats are doing all this crap, too. And the raising the specter of post-election violence, they're doing that, too, folks. I don't know what they're complaining about Donald Trump for. Pot, meat, kettle. We have to understand we are not immune from what has happened in other parts of the world and other time periods, picking up on the article, said Nicole Alexander Floyd, a Rutgers University political science professor. This is what a potential coup looks like. I'm not reading any more of this. I mean, folks, we, I mean, this Nazi, Trump Nazi trope, I'm bored with it. I mean, we have to, like I said last week, we have to change the broken record. Oh, oh, good. Now we're getting into the good. Ugh, see, I told you how depressing that was by Malcolm X. But now we, we're getting into the fun stuff. Pabst Blue Ribbon launches cannabis-infused seltzer for bus speakers. PBR's new cannabis drink ditches alcohol for tea. H-C. And if you're from Colorado, it's Peeber. So Peeber's new cannabis. <laughs> it's true. I mean, when we lived in Colorado, I did drink. I, I like PBR's okay. I mean, it's fine. Whatever. If it's there, I'll drink it. If it's not there, I'll drink something else. But, you know, they called it Peeber when I was going out. You say, I want a Peeber. And everyone in Colorado, all the bartenders in Colorado knew exactly what that was. So here we go. Pabst Blue Ribbon, otherwise known as Peeber, has jumped on two big trends, cannabis and seltzer. The 176-year-old American Lager Beer Company announced its newest non-alcoholic beverage, Cannabis-Infused Seltzer. Introducing a different kind of buzz, Pabst Blue Ribbon Cannabis-Infused Seltzer with a twist of lemon, Pabst Blue Ribbon wrote in an Instagram post on Wednesday. Brought to you by our friends at Pabst Labs. The canned 12-ounce beverage reportedly contains 5 milligrams of THC, which the company considers a responsible dosage, according to a report from Food & Wine. Do you know how much this stuff costs, White Boy Malcolm X? A four-pack, because they will ship it to places with, with marijuana that does uh, recreational marijuana. So they do that here in Massachusetts. So I think we can get some. Listen to this. A four-pack costs 24 bucks. Can you imagine paying 24 bucks for a four-pack of PBR? God. And a 24-pack of this stuff, this, this, this seltzer THC garbage, is 120 bucks. So if you buy it, 
I'll, I'll sip on one, but I probably won't finish it. Claudia Conway announces she has coronavirus on TikTok. And I'm not going to read this story. I, I, I feel bad for her. I do, in a sense. I mean, she is a hysterical teenager with a lot of emotional issues. And I, the poor girl just does not get the fact that you, she can't erase this hot mess. I mean, she is just a, a train wreck for everyone to watch. And that is going to stick with her for the rest of her. She's going to be like 40-something-year-old mother with her own just dysfunctional, screwed-up kids. And everyone's going to look at her as a hysterical teenager whining about her parents. Her, her own kids are going to be like, oh, crap. Look at mom. Here she goes again. I, thank God. I don't know about you, White Boy Malcolm X, but thank God I am as old as I am because <laughs> I couldn't go through this. I, I could not deal with social media as a teenager. I don't know how these kids do. No wonder they're all so jacked up. Two Philadelphia college students fall taking selfie during rooftop party. Yes. Yes, White Boy Malcolm X. Two drunk kids fell. They're fine. They're fine. Don't, don't worry, but I got to read the article. Parts of it. Two college students in Philadelphia were rushed to the hospital after they fell four floors from a rooftop party while trying to take a selfie, according to a report. The incident occurred around 2 a.m. Saturday morning, and what do I always say? Nothing good comes from being out after midnight during a gathering of Temple University students on a rooftop deck on an off-campus apartment in North Philadelphia, news station WPVI reported. Two of the partygoers, both 19-year-old women, were posing for a selfie together when they somehow fell off the roof and landed four floors below in an alley, the outlet reported. One of the women was brought to the hospital with leg and ankle injuries, while the other was in critical condition with injuries to multiple parts of her body, the report said. Now here's the kicker, white boy Malcolm X, because you're dealing with a bunch of hysterical college students. And we know from the college students, the, uh, the grad students there, They really do think the world revolves around them. So listen to this. Here's the kicker of the story. Student Allison Byrne said partygoers were left shaken from the terrifying fall. I feel bad for my friend who was there and did see it and had a really rough night trying to deal with that emotionally, Byrne told the outlet. Really? Really, Allison Byrne? Your friend who watched it happen is is emotionally traumatized. The two poor drunk, dopey drunk girls that fell off the stupid roof and landed (laughs) nobody cares about them it's about their own narcissist everything everything is 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 about them it's like i saw something happen and i'm going to make the story all about me not about the actual (laughs) victims in this case so i guess um, allison burns hysterical friend has been traumatized by watching a two drunk dopey chicks fall off a roof so I guess I guess we need like a trigger warning or something for it. What and, and they wonder why we call them snowflakes. Almost done, folks. Two more stories. One specially for my summit mistress. Teen, one step from becoming first millennial saint. A British-born Italian teenager who dedicated his short life to spreading the faith online and helping the poor will be beatified by the Catholic Church Saturday. This leaves him just one miracle away from becoming the world's first you are sitting, yes, you are sitting down, white boy Malcolm X, listening to this. Listen to this. From becoming the world's first millennial saint. <laughs> God. And I'm not laughing about this kid because he, he has passed away, but I'm not laughing at him. I'm just the absurdity of this. And you'll, as I read this, you'll understand what I mean. Internet and computer mad youngster Carlo Acutis, who died of leukemia in 2006, age 15. And I am sorry to the family for his loss. I am not at all, folks. I am not laughing at this kid in the least. Was placed on the path to sainthood after the Vatican ruled he had miraculously saved another boy's life. The Vatican claims he interceded from heaven in 2013 to cure a Brazilian boy suffering from a rare pancreatic disease. So Carlo Acutis passed away, unfortunately, in 2006. But from heaven, according to the Vatican, he interceded, and I don't know how they knew it was him specifically, but apparently he interceded from heaven in 2019 and just randomly picked this Italian, this British-born Italian teenager, randomly picked a Brazilian boy out in 2013 and, and cured him of pancreatic disease. Acutis, dubbed the cyber apostle of the Eucharist, was born in London to Italian parents and moved to Milan with them as a young boy. He was considered a computer genius, but what did he do? He didn't use these media to chat. Have fun, his mother, Antonia Salzano, said in an interview with Vatican News. Instead, his zeal for the Lord drove him to make a website on miracles, she said. 
The millennial, whose body lies in state in a CC, dressed in a tracksuit and trainers, and yes, that is as millennial as it gets for an outfit, also warned his contemporaries that the internet could be a curse as well as a blessing. This is, is to me, almost as, as absurd as what I read in, in the race pile. I mean, what the hell has happened to the Catholic Church? I mean, it has been in a spiral for quite some time, but this... This, folks, is, I think, takes the case. I guess this is an attempt to attract young people back to the church, but they're too busy on TikTok. Okay, folks, last story, and, and just, just to my summit mistress, I, I promise you I did not have to go looking for this story whatsoever. This one just fell right into my lap, and it is from the New Orleans Time Picune, or whatever, however you pronounce it down there in New Orleans. Priest recorded having group sex on altar of Pearl River Church, police say, three arrested. The lights inside Saints Peter and Paul Roman Catholic Church in Pearl River were on later than usual on September 30th, so a passerby stopped to take a closer look. Peering inside, the onlooker saw the small parish's pastor, half-naked, having sex with two women on the altar, according to court documents. And that, I think, is just a kind of a bit of a trade-up. Well, it, it, it is. I mean, it's not like he's having sex with two teenage boys. Speaking of which, you notice something? I guess all the, the teachers are on break this week because I had no news stories. This is probably the first week, and it's been a couple weeks, where some 30-, 40-year-old cougar has not gone out and banged some 16-year-old stud and gotten arrested for it. So we don't have any of that. So I guess we've got this, where a pastor is having sex with two women. This is This is all we have, folks. I'm sorry. The women were dressed in corsets and high-heeled boots. There were sex toys and stage lighting, and a mobile phone was mounted on a tripod recording it all. The eyewitness took a video and called <laughs> I bet they did, and called the Pearl River Police, who arrived at the church and viewed that recording. Officers then arrested the Reverend Travis Clark, pastor of Saints Peter and Paul since 2019, on obscenity charges. The Archdiocese of New Orleans announced the priest's arrest October 1st, but would not give specifics about why he was arrested nor would the police. New details, however, have emerged in court filings that paint a lurid picture of a priest recording himself engaged in sexual role-play while desecrating a sacred place within the church. Public records additionally show that one of the women, Mindy Dixon, 41, is an adult film actor who also works for hire as a dominatrix. On a social media account associated with Dixon, a September 29th post said she was on her way to the New Orleans area to meet another dominatrix and defile a house of God. <gasps> Dixon and Melissa Chang, 23, were booked on the same count as Clark, 37. Police said the charge stems from an obscene act that occurred on the altar, which is clearly visible from the street. The, I know, because <laughs> someone's going by and filming it for their pleasure. The arrests mark the latest scandal to befall the Archdiocese of New Orleans after a different North Shore priest, the Reverend Pat Waddingly, reportedly disclosed on October 1st to Archbishop Gregory Amond that he had sexually abused a minor in 2013. Can you imagine being the Archbishop? You got one banging two dominatrix hookers on the altar and another one banging some boy. He's probably like, oh crap, we probably need some like miracle. <laughs> That's why... That is why the Catholic Church is trying to to get a, a millennial saint because they want to kind of you know push this stuff under the rug. Anyway, picking back up, Amund removed Waddingly from public ministry last week and added him to the archdiocese list of clergy. I bet that is a very, very, very long list whom the church believes have a been credibly accused of molestation. The archdiocese would not comment Thursday on Clark's arrest, saying authorities were investigating the matter. Well, yes, this of course goes on, <laughs> but not for long. Officers determined everything that had happened was consensual, but they arrested Clark, Chang, and Dixon on accusations that the three had broken a law prohibiting people from having sex within public view. Police said they confiscated the sex toys and camera equipment as evidence. And this, see, this wasn't even in Florida. <laughs> so. Well, if it's not Florida, it's Louisiana or New Hampshire. So, you know, I wonder with the sex story wipe on Malcolm X, because we had the story last week of that New Jersey police department and the um, it was the internal affairs officer for like a decade walked around with this ginormous dildo they called Big Blue. <laughs> and he would like wave it at people and throw it at people. And they had to pay out like, like $2.5 million in fines to all these people who were sexually harassed. I wonder if that's where he got Big Blue was like some, some bust, like a kinky... Uh, you know, a, a, a priest with his two dominatrices. <laughs> well, I can't top that. I, I literally, I can't. We're done. We're, I literally, 
I'm at a, my pile is empty. So, folks, thank you so much for joining us uh, on another uh, exciting podcast, our tenth podcast of the uh, the Miller Frost Show. I am Miller Frost, your 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 host, America's most beloved self loathing homosexual, and Uncle Lindsay. And you can, as always, reach me at my email, miller at millerfrostonline.com. Have a great start to your week. White boy Malcolm X and I will be back next Sunday for our 11th episode, and we hope you will join us then. In the meantime, take care and have a good week.